to the nightclub. This is a special Halloween day edition. I thought it would be really neat to have something for the listeners that day in particular. So, surprise. Trick or treat, motherfuckers. In this episode, I, your host, Travis Maxwell Boone, will be counting down my top 35 favorite horror films of all time. Top 35 because once it got to 35, it was really hard to cut things out that I didn't want to discuss. I do have some honorable mentions, so it could kind of be like a top 40 or however many uh, I list off here, but I just wanted to give a few few shout-outs because they were on my mind as I was making this list. And the list towards the the, uh, the bottom, the, you know, around the 30s, it's not definitive. Some of these honorable mentions could possibly rise up. And there's a few movies that are even in the in, in the bottom rung that they're only there for, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But before we get into it, I would like you to join us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or visit our official website, thenightclub.fireside.fm, for other podcatchers, our blog, and direct from the void downloads and streaming. Find us at facebook.com slash thenightclubpodcast. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash thenightclubpodcast. Or reach out and touch pure evil with our email, the nightclub podcast at gmail.com subscribe give that five pointed pentagram rating and write up a review I'm sure some of you are tired of hearing that by now but i gotta get the word out gotta pimp that spooky shit okay so the honorable mentions i want to give some love to 2016's the autopsy of jane doe my wife and i recently watched this film and uh, didn't know what to expect going in, and the twists and turns it takes, it's fucking fantastic. Brian Cox is in it, Emile Hirsch is in it, and the female actress playing the corpse, she's great too, even though she doesn't do a fucking thing except lay there and get cut open. It was so good I had to get my wife to watch it, and she loved it too. Highly recommend this movie. I also want to give some love to 2017's The Ritual. This Netflix exclusive, man, four friends, they go hiking about a year or or some months after a a tragedy occurs, and what they stumble into is some folk magic evil shit. It's witchy, it's atmospheric, there are some interesting things done with these dreamlike sequences or hallucinations that don't just cut back to the past, but rather blend the tragedy with the forest elements around the characters, you gotta see this movie. Also, The Mist uh, from 2007, some great Lovecraftian horror here with these creatures, these monstrous creatures, insect-like, and towards the end, behemoths, mountain-sized fucking monsters that just don't give a shit that we even exist or walking around. I saw this film in theaters, the ending, It's one of the most punch-you-in-the-gut endings of all time. I'm not going to spoil it. If anyone hasn't seen it, check out The Mist. Also, 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses. And I think this movie was made well before 2003. It's Rob Zombie's first feature film. And it pays homage to a lot of 
grindhouse exploitation horror films from the 1970s, which he later does in some of his other movies, but it didn't make the list even though I've watched that movie a lot. I still highly recommend it, and it's the first chapter in the Firefly trilogy. You need to see it. Two more shout-outs, and then we'll get to the countdown. Alright, 1999's Blair Witch. It didn't make my list. Um, I don't know. It's, it's not because I don't have love for the movie. I really do. And it still holds up to this day, especially if you don't know anything about it and you just put it on. I think it's very riveting. And at the time, it was marketed as something that really happened, real found footage. Some people say it started the found footage genre. That's not the case. Long before it, we had Cannibal Holocaust, and that's in the 80s. So it wasn't the first, but it was definitely the most effective. And up until recently, I think it, uh, maybe up until Paranormal Activity, ugh, Blair Witch was the most successful independent film of all time. Made on a shoestring budget, it grossed millions and millions of dollars worldwide. If you've never seen The Blair Witch, if you've never heard of The Blair Witch, seek out 1999's film. And lastly, another recent watch from 1932, a black and white hidden gem starring Boris Karloff that I did not expect to love as much as I did. In fact, I found it really hard not putting it on my top 35, but I just couldn't. It's too recent. This is the old dark house. This movie has the perfect atmosphere. Being shot in black and white just adds to the tone of the film. And it's a bit comedic, but a lot of the dialogue is poetic. And I don't know if it's because of the way that they wrote things in the 30s or if that's the way that the book it was based on came across. But it currently sits at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Take that for what you will, like what it's worth, but I can't recommend it enough. And I think it's public domain, so you can find it anywhere. It's directed by James Well, you know, the guy that brought us Frankenstein from 1931, just a year before this, and later Bride of Frankenstein in 1935. The Old Dark House. Visit it. for this countdown. Now I'm going to say this right off the bat. I might spoil things. I probably will. So if you're worried about any plot points or endings being ruined, maybe cry off this podcast, skip it. But if not, I'm not going to be extremely detailed. This is not a midnight ritual. I'm not doing a 35 movie midnight ritual in one episode. That would be insanity. If you guys are feeling up to it, guys and gals and whatever else, uh, let's start it off. And also, these are my favorites. I'm not saying these are the best of all time. I think that goes without saying nowadays. So, you know, I'm not pissing in your cereal. Let's start things off with a bang. At number 35, we have Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell from 2009. Coming off the success of his Spider-Man trilogy, Sam Raimi returned to horror. This is the same guy that's going to show up a little bit later in the list. And he's made some of my favorite films of all time. Very inventive camera work. Very interesting story. If you like possession, demonic shit, this is the movie for you. Chock full of seances, old gypsy women, crazy goat demons, and a bit of slapstick humor 
then Drag Me to Hell is for You. Coming in at number 34, we have 1999's Ravenous. I saw this recently for the first time, but I had been wanting to see her for years. A friend of mine a long time ago told me about it, said it was really fucking good, and on the Say You Love Satan podcast, they make reference to it a few times, so I think it's some of the host's favorite film. It's got a comedic bent to it, but it's dark, it's a frontier horror film, and it deals with cannibalism. Guy Pierce is the star of the film, a cowardly captain who gets uh, banished to some outpost because of his embarrassing tactic of hiding underneath dead bodies to survive. But the real shining star of the film is Robert Carlyle. This guy steals the show. I'm not going to say much, you just need to check this one out. Alright, coming in at number 33. Now let me just let me just preface this real quick. This is probably one of the best films on the list. Best made, best written. It's an art house horror film from Lars von Trier. And a couple of these movies, and I'll make note of it when I come to them, gave me visceral reactions the first time I saw them. This is one of them. This is one of the hardest films you're probably going to want to watch. I've only seen it once because I don't really need to see it again. I will watch it again one day, but I'm good right now. 2009's Antichrist. I'm not going to say anything about this movie other than it's disturbing. It's really, really disturbing. The shit that happens in it, the shit that leads to the shit that happens in it, it's slow, but I'm telling you, if you're a fan of horror and you want to see some fucked up stuff, this is the movie for you. Coming in at number 32, written and directed by Kevin Smith, 2014's Tusk. I followed the making of this movie through the podcast, Smodcast, that Kevin Smith does with Scott Mosier. They came up with the idea on an episode called The Walrus and the Carpenter, which actually plays throughout the end credits of this film, or at least a, the segment of it where they come up with the idea. And over the course of the podcast, you follow Kevin and Scott as they talk about different plot points and the production of the film, and then Kevin finally made it. My wife and I went and saw it in theaters. I was so pumped. I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I had a good idea based on the things they discussed. And let me say, this is another one that gave me that visceral reaction. By the time you see Justin Long and his transformation becoming complete, Oh my god, my heart fell into my stomach, my skin was crawling, and it doesn't let up. The movie starts with a comedic tone, I mean, it's a Kevin Smith film, it should have a few yucks in it, and I think he balances the comedic and the disturbing really, really well, especially once Johnny Depp's character Guy Lapont gets introduced, also from the podcast, but by the end of the movie, I mean, it's, it's sad, it's just sad. But I love it, and I think Kevin Smith made a really great body horror film, so check it out. Coming in at number 31, 2014's It Follows, so two movies from 2014 back to back, and another movie that gave me that visceral reaction. And not only the visceral reaction, but it lingered. It Follows is about a, well, I guess a sex demon? What happens is, you have sex with someone, and then it follows you. It being this shape-shifting thing that you can now see, 
And once it gets you, it mangles you. And then it goes down the line. Whoever had sex with you, it's going after them. And that's how the movie starts. This girl and her boyfriend go to an abandoned parking garage. They have sex in his car. He ties her up to a wheelchair and shows her that it's coming. He explains the rules. And from there on out, the film just builds dread because it's that sense of it's coming. And you can see it walking straight towards you from off in the distance. Many times throughout the film, she just sees it coming. Something about that, man. I would be driving for my job and, and I would look out into the distant field or whatever and just imagine, what if that thing was coming for me? I mean, obviously, it's a metaphor for death. It's going to get you eventually. And I'll say the third act of the film kind of uh, doesn't live up to the, the setup, but it's still on my list, and I still highly recommend this movie. Coming in at number 30, this is an old favorite of mine, and I think it has a fitting place on the list. I watched this movie plenty when I was younger. It's a Canadian horror film from 1997, Cube. Many people probably haven't heard of this movie, and if you've never seen it, you need to seek this out. This is sort of like Saw, but ahead of its time. And I don't mean torture porn. The premise is, a bunch of strangers wake up in this... Well, let me not go into what it is. But some strangers wake up in a place, and they kind of come together in this square room. The floor, the ceiling, and each wall in this cube has doorways. The doorways lead to other square rooms with more doorways. Some of the rooms are booby-trapped with deadly consequences if you go into them. That's all I'm going to say about this movie. It's a mindfuck. Great psychological thriller. Check it out. Alright, here's where I'm probably going to catch a lot of shit. And uh, just don't turn off the episode. Give me a chance here. Coming in at number 29... John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, this is number 29. The next 28 must all be fucking masterpieces. Because this is widely considered one of the greatest horror films of all time. And it is. For what it is. But for me, this is where it lands. The atmosphere is perfect. Some of the scenes drag a little bit. Some of the acting a little hokey. But I don't fault the movie for that. And look, it's still in my top 30. So that should say something. And it also goes without saying, the score. John Carpenter is a master at the score. He's a master director as well. And that's why this movie is as influential as it is. Basically springboarding the slasher genre. Even though, arguably, Friday the 13th in 1980 had a little bit more to do with that. But, you know... They were trying to rip off Halloween. So, there you go. Alright, number 28. And I, this, this is where you might turn the episode off. At number 28, we have 2002's Cabin Fever. Written and directed by Eli Roth. Now, hold on. Don't go anywhere yet. The list gets better. <laughs> the thing about this movie is... I saw this when I was just starting to get into film. Like, get into, get into film. I didn't know what a comedy horror was just yet, even though I had seen a few, and you'll see them pop up later on this list. But this is one of the most quotable movies of all time. For me. 
I quote it to this day, and a lot of the scenes are so memorable. From the pancake scene, to the harmonica down the throat scene, to motherfucking Deputy Winston. I, I, I don't know, I find it hilarious. I know some people have a grudge with Eli Roth, they hate his guts, they think everything he does sucks. I disagree. Every film of his I've seen, I enjoy. This is the only Eli Roth film on my list, and it edges out Halloween for nostalgia's sake and quotability. The next movie on this list, if you were pissed off that Cabin Fever edged out Halloween, you're probably going to be like, what the fuck, this movie? This movie? But I've got a lot of history with this next film. Coming in at 27, 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. I grew up on the series Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Both of these horror icons scared the shit out of me as a child. Jason a little bit more than Freddy. Even though Freddy can get you in your sleep and everyone has to sleep, something about this big lumbering maniac out in the dark woods just always got to me a little bit more. It's once Jason's coming for you, I mean, it's done. Freddy, you just gotta be like, I don't, I'm not afraid of you. Jason doesn't give a fuck what you're afraid of. He's just gonna kill you. Well, with that said, neither one of those franchises has a spot on my top 35, but this movie does. I saw this opening night in theaters. I had the DVD pre-ordered, and I've watched this movie countless times. I know the fucking soundtrack. I love every scene in this film. I was a Jason guy going in, so the experience in the theater of people cheering for Jason, people cheering for Freddy, that's what I was saying. There, there's a, a deep history with this movie. Growing up watching the franchises as a kid, the theater experience, the, the repeat watches when it finally came out on home video, it just has to be on the list. I love this movie. And you know what? People can give the plot shit, but I'd like to see you try to write a better story that puts these two icons together that makes more sense. And then the fucking finale, we get two awesome fight scenes, one in the dream world, one in the real world. And by the time it's over, this movie is blood soaked and there's a fucking huge explosion. Followed up by a decapitation. Top that. Alright, I think we're going to start getting really serious here with these movies. Up next, at number 26, 2005's The Devil's Rejects. The second film by Rob Zombie, his follow-up to House of a Thousand Corpses, and the second film in the Firefly trilogy. This is a modern masterpiece. Very gritty, very amazing soundtrack, amazing performances, Bill Mosley especially as Otis Driftwood. I can't even begin to tell you how riveted I was when I saw this in theaters. If you want brutal, if you want exploitation, if you want it done in a masterful way, this is the film for you. It makes you root for the bad guys. And the finale? One of the best endings to any movie of all time. And I'm just going to say it now. You don't want to hear it? Skip ahead 10 seconds. But the ending where these three outlaws, Baby, Otis, and Captain Spaulding, motherfucking killer clown, Sid Haig, they go out with a bang, cruising towards a police barricade to the song Freebird by Leonard Skinner. And, oh, it, it's, it's just perfect. All right, at number 25, 2015's Bone Tomahawk. 
Speaking of Sid Haig, the movie opens with him and David Arquette and a throat cutting right at the beginning. That's the first image you see is someone's throat just getting cut. This is some more brutal shit. A western horror starring Kurt Russell involving cannibalism with a Quentin Tarantino style dialogue. Sort of hateful eight. And and by that I mean like, it was like Quentin would have written it. I'm not going to say a lot about this movie. If you haven't seen Bone Tomahawk, check it out. I would also recommend doing a double feature of Ravenous and Bone Tomahawk. Both are frontier slash western horror films that deal with cannibalism. And that's actually how I watched both for the first time. Back to back. Alright, here's a legendary one. Number 24. 1992's Candyman. The original story was by Clive Barker, who will show up later on this list. <laughs> and uh, Tony Todd stars as the titular character, the Candyman. Virginia Madsen plays a college graduate or a uh, graduate student or something. And she she's writing about uh, urban legends, and so she begins to explore the urban legend of the Candyman at Cabrini Green, which is a, I guess, a ghetto. But the Candyman is a ghost or a, a sort of phantasm. I don't know. He, he goes between the ethereal and the physical. So whatever that means. There are so many great shots. The mythology is very rich. The story is very deep. And there's a lot of commentary in the film. I think that's something that horror has always been really good at is social commentary. And that's why it's one of my favorites. Number 23, 1987's Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Sam Raimi's sequel slash first 10 minutes of the movie remake of the first Evil Dead continues the story of Ash Williams and his battle with the Deadites via the Necronomicon or the Book of the Dead. Now, Evil Dead 2 is usually talked about a bit more than the original and a lot of writers and directors consider it more influential and I can see why it's a horror movie that has some comedy throughout so I could see how it inspired movies like Dead Alive and Shaun of the Dead but for me it falls just outside of the top 20 range I love the movie it just hasn't ever done as much for me as the other films on this list although it is insanely quotable and insanely memorable if you want a wacky, horrific film full of blood, you need to check out Evil Dead 2. What's probably the best horror film of the 1990s is up next. And no, it's not Silence of the Lambs. Sorry, Anthony Hopkins, you gave a great performance. But I think your psycho is topped by Kathy Bates' psycho. That's right. I'm talking Misery from 1990, coming in at number 22. James Caan and Kathy Bates give career best performances in this film. This is a Stephen King story, and I believe Kathy Bates won the Oscar for best uh, female performance as the character Annie Wilkes. The premise of this film is a writer, played by James Caan, is finishing up his newest novel, which he always does with a cigarette. And he's heading back to the city from a secluded hotel out in the snowy wilderness when he gets into a car accident. He gets rescued by this woman, Annie Wilkes, who just turns out to be his biggest, most obsessed, most psychotic fan. 
What follows is a kidnapping with some very dire circumstances. All I'm gonna say is hobbling. Watch this movie. We're about to get into the top 20, but before we do, coming in at number 21 from the year 2000, American Psycho, starring Christian Bale. In this film, he plays Patrick Bateman. Um, I guess he's a Wall Street type. I'm a little fuzzy on remembering exactly what his career is, but it takes place in the 80s. And this is one of those films that's a social commentary on greed, on American society, what it is that we seek, and how someone comes to terms with their goals, their ambitions, all while fighting this deeper, darker nature. Patrick Bateman is one of the best on-screen psychos I've ever seen. His disassociation with the people around him, how the film blends fantasy and reality. This is sort of a mindfuck, but if you've never seen it, you need to watch this movie. And all I'm going to say about this one is uh, business cards. <laughs> I love that scene. So here we go. Top 20 time. Coming in at number 20. From 1981, Joe Dante's The Howling. Now this movie... I kind of questioned it being on the list, or at least this high on the list. But we're finally back to those visceral reaction films. And as a kid, this werewolf flick scared the shit out of me. So much to the point where I had nightmares, where I would be trapped in my car. And this is a scene pretty much out of the movie, towards the end. Uh, I would be trapped in my car, or my parents' car rather. And they would all get out for some reason. And we'd be in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by woods. They would get out the car, walk away from the vehicle, leaving me inside of it, and then werewolves would approach the vehicle, scratching on the windows, climbing on top the hood, on top the roof of the car, trying to get at me. This movie takes place at a secluded retreat for people who have undergone, I guess, uh, nervous breakdowns or they have uh, severe depression, and a reporter, uh, a journalist, she attends this retreat because she was being stalked by a serial killer and she helped the police out. She actually fed into his delusions and um, ended up getting him killed by the cops. So she's there to sort of recuperate. It turns out this retreat is a uh, clan of werewolves. Yeah. It's got one of the best werewolf transformation scenes of all time. Sort of sort of the opposite of American Werewolf in London, which came out the same year. American Werewolf in London's transformation is shot completely lit. Full lighting, right in your face, right on camera. The Howling, on the other hand, still with great special effects, takes the opposite approach. And the transformation we see is very dimly lit, in the shadows, and honestly... I kind of prefer this transformation scene. Now, American Werewolf is going to come up later, so get ready for that, and I'll touch on this transforma these uh, two transformation scenes again. And uh, The Howling's third act is great. I think the movie kind of drags here and there. That's why it's a little low, and I even questioned it being as high as it is. But I still love this movie, and it's still nostalgic. All right, now we're getting into it. Number 19, Ty West's 2009 film, The House of the Devil. This is a slow burn. It's a throwback to 70s films. 
because there are plenty of satanic cult witch 70s films, more than I can count, and I've recently started diving into those. I'm going to do an episode on that subgenre, because it's a subgenre all by itself. Um, this movie pays homage to all of those. It takes its time. It's got a great score, and even though it's mostly a quiet film, by the time it builds up to the climax, which I'm not going to reveal here, it just floors me. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to say anything else. Watch it. Alright, at number 18, this film. <laughs> Talk about floored me. I'm not a hater of remakes. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess I kind of initially roll my eyes when I hear that they're going to remake something. But I do give it a chance, 9 times out of 10, and I've been surprised over and over again. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 2003, the Friday the 13th remake from 2009 or 10, whenever that came out, I saw that in theaters. I enjoyed it a lot. Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, I say it's worth a watch. I don't love it though. And the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I've kind of avoided it. I just don't really feel like wasting my time. No one seems to like that movie. It seems irredeemable, so... But this remake... This remake is number 18 on my list. That should say something. And it's even above one of its previous films in the series. I'm talking about 2013. Fede Alvarez. Evil Dead. I was very skeptical going into this movie. And you'll see why way later in the list. But I was like, really? They're going to remake Evil Dead? Okay. Bruce Campbell better be the star. Oh, Bruce Campbell's not the star. Well, who did they have playing Ash? There's no Ash. Well, what the fuck is this movie then? Who cares? Evil Dead is Ash. I was wrong. Evil Dead is the atmosphere and the tone and the mythology. And they get the mythology right with a few tweaks that make it its own. The Deadites are different from Sam Raimi's incarnation of what the Deadites are. The Book of the Dead has a different look. It's got a few different rules, and there's actually an end goal to what the Deadites are trying to accomplish. Unlike in the original films, where it seems like they just want to possess people and wreak havoc. In this movie, they want to capture five souls, claim them as their own, and then summon the Abomination. I'm going to tell you right now. From the opening to the closing scene, it starts with a bang and it ends with a bang. I was immediately on board after the opening of this film. When the title credits hit, Evil Dead on screen, and it's just this intense music building up, I'm like, fuck yes. Especially after what we just saw, a burning and a shotgun blast. I mean, you gotta see it. By the end of the film, it's literally raining blood. From the sky. It's too fucking epic to leave off. And I know a lot of people like it. I know some people don't really care for it. I fucking love it. And I'm saying it now. This is another modern masterpiece. And speaking of modern masterpieces. And another film that gave me a visceral reaction. Oh and oh, but before I move on. I do, wanna, I do also want to mention. Uh, Evil Dev 2013. If there is any computer generated imagery. It's used so minimally. Uh, the, the the practical effects, Fede Alvarez and company, they really, really brought it. Some of the best practical effects. And you know what? It's one of the most intense films that got a wide release in a long fucking time. 
Evil Dead from 2013 is brutal as fuck, people. I mean, don't take my word for it. Go see it. If not for that alone, it's, it's great. But speaking of another modern masterpiece, coming in at number 17, the directorial debut of Ari Aster, 2018's Hereditary. Speaking of another witch film, Tony Collette gives the performance of a lifetime. She should have gotten nominated for something. I mean, I'm sure she won some awards at some other ceremonies that actually fucking pay attention to who's doing what. All that's subjective, but, you know, give credit where credit's due. That was one of the best performances of 2018. This is one of the best movies from 2018. There's a scene in this movie that got that gut punch out of me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it any more than that. Hereditary. You need to see it. Following right away at number 16, Ari Aster's second film from 2019, Midsommar. People are calling this a breakup film. Some people are saying it's not a horror film. Look, this is a folk horror film, sort of in the style of The Wicker Man. Again, this movie's so new, I'm not going to say anything about it. But if you've seen Hereditary and you know the gut punch scene I'm talking about, Midsummer probably has two or three of those. And one of the shots at the very end is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen captured on a film. And I'm definitely going to be talking about Midsummer and Ari Aster in general in a later episode, so I don't really want to say too, too much about it right now anyway. Like I said, it's so new, I don't want to spoil shit for anyone. So moving right along... Number 15, written and directed by Darren Aronofsky, Mother, from 2017. This had a wide release. I don't know how he convinced the studio to give him this wide release. Starring Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, and in the lead, Jennifer Lawrence, this psychological horror film, art house, experimental, I, I don't really know, it, 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 you have to see it. And I can't give anything away. I'm going to do an episode probably on either Darren or this movie in particular later down the line. So I don't want to talk about it too much right now. I just want to say this is also another visceral reaction movie towards the end. I mean, this movie just builds and builds and builds the insanity until finally it's just neck breaks pace. And, and, and it, it's all an allegory. I don't want to say for what. I'll talk about that another time. But Mother from 2017, seek it out. Alright, coming in at number 14, this also scared me as a kid. I saw this in theaters in 2001, starring Nicole Kidman. This is a haunted house ghost flick. One of the best looking ghost movies I've ever seen. One of the creepiest houses I've ever seen. The look of the film, the cinematography, is brilliant. I'm talking about The Others. I'm also not going to talk too much about this one. This is more of a countdown list, and that's that's why I said at the beginning I'm not going to be extremely detailed, because a lot of these movies I'm going to cover later, and I don't want to spoil everything right now, especially with this movie. Maybe you'll see where the ending is going to go when you watch this movie, but if you're like me and you sort of shy away from trying to figure out a plot, um, I don't sit there and try to figure out where a movie's going to go. I usually just let it unfold. Sometimes it's glaringly obvious, so you can't help but think of it. But this movie, I was like, oh my fucking god. Awesome. 
And I think it still holds up to this day. I saw it not too long ago and I was I was like, whoa, it was even better than I remembered. I mean, that's why it's number 14 on my list. So let's keep going. I think we're going to start getting into the land of nostalgia here, but also awesomeness, pure fucking awesomeness. We're going to start at number 13, 1982. We have two titans of horror teaming up to create one of the greatest horror anthologies of all time. In my opinion, the greatest horror anthology film of all time. It's so much fun. It's got the scares. It's got the comedy. It's got the atmosphere. And it really represents what it's based on, which is comic books. George Romero and Stephen King, Creepshow. There's five stories in this movie. I don't know the names of them off the bat, but the first one involves a a zombie daddy wanting his father's day cake. The second one stars Stephen King as Jody Verrill and meteor shit that grows out of control. You, You gotta see that one. The third one stars Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. Leslie Nielsen is not comedic in this at all. He is a motherfucking bastard and he is great. Not gonna get into what that one's about. The fourth story is with Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau, and that one I know for sure is called The Crate. Talk about a way to ha- to, <laughs> to get a divorce, you gotta see that one. Um, and the last one is kind of, I think the weakest one for me, it involves a lot of cockroaches, so it's kind of gross out for people who are skeeved by insects, but I think it's a nice capper for the for the film, which, which is bookended by um, The Creep. From the, from the titular creep show and um, Stephen King's son along with motherfucking Tom Atkins without his mustache and uh, that, that's also priceless, priceless, uh, priceless bookends so creep show it's the most fun you'll have being scared number 12 starring Rick Moranis 1986 this is the only musical on my list but man, is it fucking good. Based off the original from, I believe, the 50s, Little Shop of Horrors. I fucking know and love all of the songs in this movie, from Suddenly Seymour to Skid Row to <laughs> You'll Be a Dentist, which is hilariously sung and performed by Steve Martin, the cameo by Bill Murray in this movie, the animatronics, the special effects, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, Feed Me Seymour. I mean, look, if you've never seen Little Shop of Horrors from the 80s, you gotta do it. We're about to get into the top 10. Before we get there, childhood favorite. Number 11, 1984, Joe Dante's Gremlins. This film's about a kid, Billy Peltzer, who gets a present from his dad when his dad was away on one of his business trips. What's this present? It's a pet. What's this pet? A dog, a cat, an iguana. Fuck no, it's a mogwai. This mogwai, this cute, amazing mogwai that I was so upset to find out as a kid was not a real animal, comes with three rules that you need to follow. Rule number one, no bright lights, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. Rule number two, don't get him wet. And rule number three, Whatever you do, never, ever feed that mogwai after midnight. Well, Billy breaks each and every fucking rule. By the end of this movie, 
his town of Kingston Falls is overrun by these little demonic, mischievous fucking creatures known as gremlins. It's hilarious, it's dark, and it's one of my favorite films of all time. Alright, top 10. Starting us off, 2006, Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. This movie coming in at number 10 was another visceral reaction film. I saw it in theaters, and the scene with the ogre with the eyes in his hands, I pictured it coming up the aisles after me, and it scared the fuck out of me. There's also some real brutality in this movie. A son gets killed right in front of his father by the brutal Captain Fidel, who I think is one of the greatest horror movie villains of all time. Now, some people would probably question whether or not this is a horror film. Look, you watch it and you tell me if it's more fucked up than some other fantasy movies. It's basically a fairy tale, and this is another movie that blends fantasy and reality, and by the end of it, you can question whether or not any of the fantastical elements were ever real. I'm not going to go into what it's about, probably going to discuss it another day. Number nine. Here we go with Clive Barker again. 1987's Hellraiser. This was Clive Barker's first film. He adapted it from his short story, The Hellbound Heart, and it stars Doug Bradley as Pinhead, who originally was supposed to just be called The Priest, I believe. Um, in the short story, he's never even called Pinhead. It's a name that they gave him on set because of the character's look. I don't really think I need to describe this too much. He's iconic. He's up there with Freddy and Jason and Leatherface and Chucky and all that. But the premise of the movie is this guy, Frank Cotton, who is a seeker of both pleasure and pain, the extremes of human experience, he finds this puzzle box, the Lament Configuration. Then he opens it up and he unleashes the Cenobites, angels to some, demons to others. His niece, Kirsty Cotton, and her family, they move into this house where Frank was staying and uh, all hell breaks loose. I mean, look, you, you gotta see this one if you haven't seen it. Bloody fucking skeletons rise up out of the floor. People get ripped apart by chains. Jesus weeps. I mean, look, just watch it. All right, coming in at number eight, 1988's Child's Play, the original. Again, another movie that scared me as a kid, just as Hellraiser did. Charles Lee Ray, played by Brad Dorff, is a serial killer that transfers his soul to a doll via voodoo incantation as he's dying. That doll gets bought in a back alley and given to little Andy Barkley. The movie builds tension, and by the end, the, the climax, I mean, it just keeps going. Like, Chucky just won't fucking die. The first line spoken in the movie by Chucky as the doll I'm just telling you, man. It's great. And I think it's the best movie of the entire franchise, which I think might be the most consistent of the uh, of the horror franchises that started in the 80s. So, you know, take that for what you will, but you got to check this one out. Coming in at number seven from 1980, the classic, considered possibly the greatest horror film of all time by a lot of people. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson. He adapted this from the Stephen King story of the same name and changed almost everything about it other than the setup. Um, Jack Nicholson plays Jack Torrance, who is hired to take care of the Overlook Hotel during its off-season in the winter. His wife and son join him, and he uh, goes a little crazy. 
he goes a lot crazy. This movie's iconic, so many scenes are iconic, and it's definitely a Kubrick film. Every genre Kubrick seems to touch, he makes a masterpiece in, and The Shining is an example of that. I love that movie. I can watch it anytime. Coming in at number six, and this is going to be the most recent movie on my list, the debut film by Robert Eggers from 2015, The Witch, or stylized The Vavitch, a New England folktale. I went to the theater and saw this with my wife, not really knowing what I was getting into. I had just seen that it got a lot of praise on the festival circuit, and what I walked away with was a feeling of, well, something Kubrick-esque makes sense why they're both right here next to each other on the list, Kubrick and this film. It's very Kubrick. It's so deliberate. Every shot is deliberate. Everything in the film is authentic to the 1600s when the film takes place. It's set in Puritan times. This family is cast out of the town they live in because the father is too Christian for the fucking Puritans, which is, which is like, holy shit. And what happens after that the movie makes no bones about it. There's a fucking witch. It doesn't play around. It shows you so you don't have to do any guesswork. But it's the performances. It's the seclusion. It's the setting. It's the score. It's the cinematography. It's the dialogue, which is also authentic to the time. Robert Eggers did his fucking homework. This is one of my favorite horror films of all time. You need to see it. Alright, we're in the final stretch now. The next five movies are all classics. They're all highly regarded, so it should be no surprise that they're on my list. And no, Silence of the Lambs isn't on there. I already said that that wasn't the best fucking horror of the 90s. No, The Exorcist is not on here. No, Jaws is not on here. And no, The Thing is not on here. I've only seen that movie once. I really, really enjoyed it. Gotta watch it again, but it didn't make the cut. Coming in at number five, from 1979, Ridley Scott's Alien. I've studied this film probably more than any other movie on my list, other than maybe the top two spots. There's so much lore. There's so much going into the making of these movies, from H.R. Geiger's artwork to the original screenplay and how much it changed, to Ridley Scott's vision and the amount of control he gave to the other artists involved. The look of the film, the setting of the spaceship being a really lived-in type of vessel, and some of the on-camera first-time shocks that you get, the chestburster scene, the alien uncoiling itself in the escape pod at the end. It's just the overall look and tone, and the performance from Sigourney Weaver, who you don't expect is going to be the heroine of the film, but by the end, you couldn't see it any other way. She's one of the most badass heroes of all time in horror genre, or in any genre for that matter. And it started a franchise that, even though the films dwindle as they go along, I still fucking love each and every one of them. All right, number four. This is probably gonna be the most controversial film on the list because of the director's history, but I'm not gonna go into that. 1968. It's also the oldest film on the list, I think. Uh, Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. He adapted the novel pretty much faithfully because he assumed that when he got the rights to it, that that's what you do. You just adapt it from the page. 
So it's a very faithful adaptation. Now, I'd like to read the book one day. I've never read it. Because this is my number four. This is another slow burn. And by the time you get to the finale, the payoff, for me, is one of the best in film history. You follow Rosemary, played by Mia Farrow, through this entire film. She's a subservient wife to her husband, a very selfish guy, and her neighbors, the Castavets, they have some very nefarious things going on. A really demonic plot, if you will. It's another one I'm not going to spoil, because I'm going to fucking talk about this one day. Um, it might even be part of a certain subgenre I mentioned earlier, so... That should clue you in as to what the plot's about. I can watch this movie over and over again. I never get bored with it. Every shot is beautiful. All of the performances are great. It feels fresh, even though it's from 1968. I highly, highly recommend it. Alright, coming in at number three. Featuring my favorite movie monster. From 1981, John Landis's classic... An American Werewolf in London. And I said I would touch back on the transformation scenes. Um, this is, hands down, if not the best, it's second best werewolf transformation ever put to film. I like the transformation from The Howling a little bit better, just because the design of the werewolf is creepier to me in that movie. But this film is a step above. Sorry, Joe Dante. It balances comedy and horror extremely well, Every scene is memorable. The performances and the chemistry between the actors, fantastic. I'm glued to the screen every time I watch it. Beware the moors, stick to the road. Don't stick to the road. Travel out on the moors. Get fucking mauled by a werewolf. Have Nazi werewolf nightmares. Fall in love with a nurse. Instantly move into her apartment and have sex with her. Transform into a werewolf in her apartment and go on a killing spree. The subway scene in this movie. Fucking fantastic. And you know what? I'm just going to spoil it now, even though I'm probably going to talk about this movie later one day. The chaos at the end of this film is some of the best ever. I was I was laughing my ass off. The, at the end of the movie, the main character transforms into a werewolf in a porno theater, I believe, in the middle of London's busiest section, bursts out the doors... People are running everywhere, cars are crashing, people are just dying. It's incredible. And then the movie just fucking ends. I'm not going to say what happens right at the ending, but the movie just ends. There's no epilogue, there's no what happens next. It's just a tight, well-written, well-acted, well-shot, amazing werewolf film. Where are the top two? One of these is probably going to come as no surprise. Um, and the other one I'm going to touch on a little bit later in its own episode, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But coming in at number two, 1974, Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love this movie. It's shot in such a way that it feels like a snuff film. The performances from all the characters are so believable. The subtext in the film some of the nuances of the dialogue and what the characters are talking about and thinking about. Once you really watch this movie over and over, you dig into so many things that on the surface level aren't readily making themselves apparent. 
I'm going to talk about this movie in its own episode, so I'm not going to get too much into it now. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original from 74, it's one of the best horror films of all time. I don't think that that's disputed. It's raw, it's gritty, it's visceral as fuck. Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface is so memorable. Every, everyone in this movie is memorable. I mean, it's just... I'll get to it. That episode's coming up. And number one should come as no surprise. And I've already talked about it in episode one, Unlucky Bloodletting, 1981's The Evil Dead. Sam Raimi's directorial debut, his first feature film. I mean, if, if you haven't heard me discuss it enough, go back and listen to episode one. You'll hear all the reasons why this is my favorite horror film of all time. It influenced me deeply. The lore, the look of the film, how indie it is, how raw it is. It's like even though you can sort of almost see the strings and the smoke and mirrors behind the tricks that are being pulled on screen, it's just charming enough that it comes across so well. It's real movie magic. I mean, when I think of movie magic, well, a lot of the films on this list could all be, that they all encompass that, but this one just goes back the furthest and has the deepest roots in what I appreciate about film and about horror movies. If you've never seen The Evil Dead, go watch it, and then go back and listen to my first episode. I promise you'll have fun with it, and maybe even get a little spooked. So that's it. That's my top 35, and like I said, some are subject to change, but the ones in the upper echelon there, those are pretty rock solid for now. This has been your special little Halloween episode. This is the uh, treat to all the tricks. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I hope if you've never seen some of these movies, me talking about them will make you want to go and watch them. I hope you get to do something fun for Halloween. But most of all, be safe out there. Everyone have an awesome night, and stay spooky, bitches.